Thank you for listening to the First Baptist Church podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcottawa.org. Seeing sacred contentment. Seeing sacred contentment. Or the phrase from the reading in Timothy that jumped out right at the end so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. Like what really is life? What is the spiritual life really all about? What pursuits are worthy of our time, our energy, our passion, our drive, our breath? What is life? Oh, we can get sidetracked and we can chase after all kinds of things. And certainly the passage from Timothy tells us that we can get consumed with running after riches. We can get consumed with running after mammon, after wealth. And certainly from the gospel reading, the parable, one could preach a sermon this morning and really, really hammer hard on ignoring the Lazarus at the gate. Ignoring the poor, hungry man at the gate. But maybe my angle this morning I feel prompted to is a little more how might we see God better so that we might see others more clearly. See God so clearly that we can't ignore Lazarus at the gate. Seeing sacred contentment. We live in a world that would lure us to think that life is all about the acquisition of things. He who dies with the most toys wins. We live in a world that would lure us, would literally entice us with every ounce of energy that the ways of the world have, that contentment comes from from a solid 401k and a good retirement plan. We live in a world that tells us that, that it's about security and about safety and about all those kinds of things, and I don't want to say they don't matter. But the, right, the gospel this morning and the words from Paul and Timothy make it clear that if those things matter most, we will not have sacred contentment. We will miss the life that is really life. If we make those things first place, then we'll have something to protect. We will have something to, to hoard. We'll have something to keep rather than something to give. And by the way, the exact analogy is the analogy of of have the top the lid off so that the water of living water of God can be poured in so that it can flow through us and God is a never-ending supplier of living water God is a never-ending protector of us the psalm reading this morning from the call to worship those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High who abide in the shadow of the Almighty will say to the Lord my refuge and my fortress my God in whom I trust You see, what it comes down to is, do we trust this kind, compassionate, providing God? God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ and walked among us in love and in mercy to the point of laying down his own life. Do we trust this God who so loved that he gave? Do we trust this God enough to have contentment in God? 
Do we find the riches of life come from the riches of the soul rather than the riches of the world? Do we really believe that? Well, as you can imagine, this last week has been a week of sharing stories. The last two weeks. And before we left my dad's bedside on Friday, the hospice doctor came in and the social worker from hospice came in and, and that, that spurred another round of stories. Another round of stories of dad's life, of life, the part that is really life. And I was reminded of a story I've heard many times over when my mom and dad first got married Dad was an insurance salesman, life insurance. That was back in the time, back in the days when the insurance salesman came to your house, sold the policy, and came to collect the, yeah, I got some nodding of the heads, and came to collect the, the, the monthly cost, and, and came, and that's, that's what they did. And my dad did that for a short time, but it was, it was only a short time that he did that. Uh, he really couldn't make a living with the approach that he had. He would go call on many clients, and he would see them. He'd come home and have almost no money to show for. And Mom was like, well, George, you saw many people. What you collected? And, well, many times the people would say they didn't have the money to pay on their life insurance policy, so he would pay their monthly fee out of his own pocket and come home with almost nothing. There were people who literally, at the time of a loved one's passing, still had that policy because dad had paid out of his own pocket. Well, that doesn't provide a lot for yourself, but it sure does provide a lot in terms of contentment. Dad also had a, at one time, before his fire department career, also had a, a gas station, Pennington Gulf. Pennington Golf in Frankfort, Kentucky. Man, they sold a lot of gasoline and did a lot of car repairs, and, and he hired a lot of people that couldn't get a job anywhere else, and there was a lot of cash flow, too. And boy, there sure was a lot of cash flow through that place. Well, because if you didn't have it, Dad would trust you to pay it later. If, if you didn't have it to get the gas, he'd trust you, put it on credit. If you couldn't pay for the repair, he would trust you. And, you know, the employees, a few of the employees they needed, well, let's just say that they maybe needed some of the money worse than he did. <clears throat> he trusted and he gave. And it was a good business and people loved doing business at Pennington Golf, but Pennington Golf didn't exactly turn a big profit back to the Pennington family. In fact, there was a time we sold our house and other things because that hadn't gone so well. But I think if you were to tell, ask my dad today if he could answer, he would say, he'd probably say, I'd do it all again. Dad also took a time when, when he had some rental property. Now, it wasn't rental property that was high-end rental property. It was just entry-level rent, you know, just, just a little bit. Well, the first Christmas they had that rental property, you know, you know what dad did? He buys Christmas presents for the kids of the people that were renting. Now, how many landlords do that, right? There's Christmas presents for the kids and all those kinds of things, and that ended up being something that, that while, I mean, you would have just had to have a big bankroll to approach rental property the way my dad approached it. Didn't have that, so eventually had to sell the rental property. But there were some people who experienced something different from somebody that they rented from for a season. You see, it seems as I look back, 
And these stories are recounted, and even the, the, the hospice doctor said, wow, hearing these things makes me want to be a better person. I watched a life lived in front of me that, that while my mom and dad would say they are incredibly blessed, and, and their pension and retirement has allowed them to live well and comfortably, not with wealth, but contentment life that is really life, life that is giving, life that is compassion, life that, that is not always concerned with how much profit can one make. Oh, that was true as well as B&P maintenance of, of his plumbing business. People said he never, he never charged enough. Never charged enough. That's just who he is. That's just who he is. It seems to me that that I had lived in front of me, and, and, and certainly as we reflect, we reflect on, the, on all the highlights, but I had lived in front of me a life that is really life. A life of giving, a life of compassion, a life of, well, his last words spoken were a term of endearment for my mom. She, of course, is a grandparent. Her term is mamaw. His last spoken words were, I love my mamaw. On Wednesday, I believe it was, a life of loving his wife and loving his kids, a life of real contentment that's deeper than the things of this world. You see, I had modeled for me from a very young age a dad who noticed Lazarus at the gate. I had modeled for me a, a dad who noticed and, and he didn't allow whatever place in life or job or busyness or anything else to keep him from noticing if there was somebody at the gate that didn't have enough. And that, that parable is, is profoundly convicting and disturbing, isn't it? Where, where we are to be pursuing a life that is really life, but here's a rich man who has everything that he could ever want, and he's probably gotten it from dishonest means. I mean, it's hard... I, I know this is controversial in some circles, but I think it's hard to be massively, hugely, overwhelmingly wealthy without ignoring some of the things around you. I'm not saying you can't have a lot, but my goodness, it seems we have some insane extremes in our world, don't we? And we get uncomfortable when we talk about that. I mean, it would be easy to riff on Jeff Bezos at this moment and say, you know, all the things that he's doing. I read an article about how now he's wanting to buy up property and buy up all these properties so that, so that oh, that, that people who, who have housing insecurity can rent. And really, that's just extorting from those who can't. And then at what point can people no longer afford to buy a home because the super wealthy have bought them all? Like... What is life that is really life? Life is, is, well, it's in the parable we'll talk about in, in Sunday school this morning where Jesus says, he who has done to the least of these brothers and sisters is mine. If you've given a cup of water, some food, visited those in prison, clothing, taking care of those that are struggling, that's life. That's life that Jesus says will be rewarded in the end. Life that is seeing Lazarus at the gate. 
The parable that Jesus tells has this man, this rich man, and he is, some, he is feasting sumptuously every day. There is, there is no fine food that is exempted from his table. He's got it all. And Lazarus has nothing. Lazarus would just like some, some, of, the, some of the crumbs that fall to the table. Some of the crumbs that the rich man's dogs would eat. The, the poor Lazarus, the only named person in a parable, by the way. Isn't it interesting that it's a poor beggar that's starving that is named, given a name, given the dignity of a name. And the rich man has allowed him to become a part of the scenery. Just allowed him to become part of the scenery. You see, there's no contentment in allowing the suffering of the world to become an acceptable part of the scenery. There's no sacred contentment when we cannot see every human being, regardless of their need or their position in life, as made in the sacred and divine image of God. As I have thought ahead of time about my dad's funeral service, celebration of life service that is inevitable, I've thought about how dad showed me some deep theology without being able, we didn't talk about it. He showed me the divine, how to live seeing the divine worth, the image of God in every single human being. Like God created human beings and made them very good and they all have divine worth and divine value and are beloved. And he showed that deep thing to me. And I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something mysterious, something special, something real and something true. Dad showed me that while I was still praying for my dad to start coming to church with us. Dad showed me that before I was standing in the choir loft at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Frankfort, Kentucky at age 16 and saw him walk the aisle and rededicate his life to the Lord and become plugged in and involved with church. Dad showed me those things before that. When I was a little boy and he was a creaster, Christmas and Easter, Dad showed me the divine value of every human life by the way that he lived and by the way he treated people. He showed me the secret maybe of this parable and the teaching in Timothy that we've read and even the prophetic word from Amos that was read that, that if we are relying on the things of this world to make us content, then we will be very discontent. If we're relying on the things of this world to make us content, then we will be not only discontent, we will be, we will be at odds and maybe even at war. You see, life that is really life wants everybody to win. Life that is really life wants everybody to win. That's a hard concept. We think of winners and losers. Like everything, there's winners and losers. Well, that's for the sports field. And by the way, in sports, I really didn't never like the whole concept of church league softball where people say, well, it's a church league. It doesn't matter if you win or lose. I'm like, no, they're keeping score, aren't they? <laughs> Are they keeping score? Then it matters whether you win or lose. I, I often, and, and for that matter, it is much more difficult to play to win and still treat the person that you're seeking to score more runs or points than to treat them well. That's much more challenging as a spiritual practice. 
how to seek to win the game and not other your opponent. That being said, in life, life is not an athletic competition. Life's not an athletic competition. Life is, life is not Jayhawks and Blue Devils. Life is all of us. And until the rich man can see himself in Lazarus, and Lazarus is able to be lifted up in this world until we're all winners, well, I'm afraid at some level, at least at the level of contentment, we're all going to be losers. I think we live in a world where we're in danger. Oh, don't hear me talking about eternity and, and, and the pearly gates and that and who's in and who's out. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about seeing sacred contentment. If we're not able to see the image of God in anyone and everyone around us, if we're not able to see the Lazarus at the gate and say, oh, Lazarus, I can't let Lazarus be there starving and with sores on his flesh. It is within my ability to do something for the Lazarus at my gate. Until we can see the Lazarus at the gate, we will not have sacred contentment. We won't see it. We won't see God. We won't see God in others. And we'll all, in some ways, we're going to be losing something. I'm convinced that so much of the journey of following Jesus is learning to see. I've been talking about that for a long time, for several years now. It's learning to see. It's learning to see. It's learning to see God, oh, certainly high and lifted up. It's learning to see God right around us and see God in the, the sunrise and see God in the beggar. To see God in the ocean waves and to see God in the prisoner. To see God in the sunrise and to see God in the person that makes us the most angry. Seeing God in everyone. Oh, they may not know it, but we can see it for them. Do we dare? Seeing sacred contentment taking hold of the life that really is life. In the parable... There's a rather tragic sort of ending. The rich man is given an invitation. He's given an invitation that if he would just have listened to what he has already heard. Moses and the prophets. There's plenty of things in Moses and the prophets about compassion, about loving God and loving neighbor, about you know, leaving the gleanings of the field for, for, the, the, for the poor and for the immigrant and, and, to treat the, and to treat the immigrant like because you were once immigrants in the land of Egypt and strangers and aliens in the land of Egypt. There's plenty of talk about shalom and peace among all people. I mean, he, if, if you didn't listen to Moses and the prophets, you're probably not going to listen even if someone rises from the dead. Oh, may we listen to that which we already have heard. Notice I didn't say that may we listen to that which we already know, because if we already know it, we'd already be doing it. May we listen to that which we've already heard. 
Open my eyes, Lord, that I may see. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may see. So that we may see the life that is really life. So that we may live a life that has the heart of God flowing so much from us that we truly desire that everyone wins. That everyone wins. And then maybe just a little touch of heaven may come down and fill our souls. Maybe it comes down to just a closer walk with thee. Doesn't it? Granted, Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to thee. When my feeble life is o'er. Time for me shall be no more. Guide me gently, safely, or to thy kingdom shore. Just a closer walk with thee. The closer we walk to Jesus, the better we can see, the more contented we are, the more life has meaning, the more life is rich, the more good tears we cry, the more meaningful moments we have, the more beauty we see in the world, the more beauty we see in others. Oh, the closer we walk with Jesus, the more sacred contentment we have. Let's gather close. Let's gather so close to Jesus, the rabbi, that we're covered in the dust of the rabbi. Walking those roads 2,000 years ago in time today that we're walking so close that from his sandaled feet, the dust of this world, the dust is, is, oh, may we be covered in the dust of the rabbi. Rabbi Jesus teacher Jesus, Savior Jesus, Lord Jesus, covered in the dust of the rabbi. Just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. Let's pray. Loving God, in the name of Jesus, uh, thank you for the gift of your love and the gift of grace, the gift of seeing and fine-tune our vision fine-tune our vision to see the sacred, and may we refuse to allow any Lazarus to become an acceptable part of scenery in our world. May we allow Lazarus to disturb us that you might comfort us and guide us. So, Lord Jesus, we truly just desire a closer walk with you. Sacred contentment, indeed. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the First Baptist Church podcast. We invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 930 in Ottawa, Kansas. You can find more information about our church at www.fbcottawa.org.